In today's episode, we'll talk with Anne Hudson, author of Glow, the very first title from a brand new publisher, Next Page Press. Also with us today is Laura Van Proyen, who is the founder of Next Page Press. Welcome to episode 12 of The Chapbook. I'm your host, Noah Stetzer. And I'm Ross White. Noah and I are the directors and editors at Bull City Press, which publishes chapbooks and sometimes full-length books of poetry, fiction, and nonfiction. We started this podcast to celebrate all things chapbook, to go behind the scenes of the publishing process and share chapbook news. Hey, Ross, I'm really excited for our guest today. You know, I feel like we just keep lining up old friends to come and hang out with us on the podcast. <laughs> and I can't think of a better way to spend the afternoon. Our guests today are Anne Hudson and Laura Van Proyen. Anne Hudson is the author of The Armillary Sphere, which was selected by Mary Kinsey as the winner of the Hollis Summers Poetry Prize and published by Ohio University Press. Anne is a senior editor for Rhino and teaches at a Montessori school in Evanston, Illinois. Laura Van Proyen is a poet herself with a number of collections to her name. She has over 20 years experience teaching poetry and writing. Laura serves as the managing editor of the Cortland Review and is launching Next Page Press with its very first title, Glow, to be released October 2021. Hello to you both. Welcome to the podcast. Hello. So glad to be here. Hello. So I thought as a way of getting started, I'd give our listeners just a general idea of GLOW and, and sort of the concerns that the book seems to reveal to me as I read it. On its face, it seems to tackle the story of Marie Curie and her exploration and her investigation into radium. One might also say her obsession with radium. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> and so I just thought how interesting it was to go at some of the things that your book tackles by way of looking at Curie. And I was wondering how the poems sort of unfurled from that jumping off spot. Well, the, the poems actually had several jumping off spots. Uh, they didn't come to me with as much of a narrative through line as might appear in the book. I was introduced or reintroduced to Curie's story and interested in it, but I didn't really do anything with it. Years later, I was taking a family vacation to Starved Rock State Park, a state park here in Illinois, which is near Ottawa, Illinois. And it turns out I have some family ties to the area. A great, great, great uncle that might be plus or minus one great, I can't remember, uh, of mine, John Dean Caton, lived in the area and was sort of prominent in the area. And there was some, there were some family artifacts at a historical museum there. And so I had gone to see these artifacts and and talk to one of the people at the one of the curators at the museum. And a few blocks away from this museum is a statue to the uh, of a radium girl. And so I stumbled on this idea of radium and how it can be so so powerfully positive and harmful not only in one human body, but in the world. And then remembered 
my earlier interest in Marie Curie. And it sort of, it, the story sort of came to me from several different directions all at once. There's a sequence of three poems entitled Work that are set a few years apart in, uh, in Radium Dial, which is mm -hmm. a factory where the Radium Girls are working. And I was really struck, Anne, by the fact that the first of those three poems is jubilant. The word luminous obviously comes across a lot in this book. But when I think about luminous poems, that first work poem is truly a luminous poem. And by the third poem in the sequence, we've started to see the dark side of radium. I'm really struck by the fact that you've managed to talk about a subject that with the power of hindsight, we recognize is deeply harmful, but to be able to take a perspective in which there is still magnificence and beauty available to us in the poems. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Uh, Curie was, was fascinated by radium and was, there are passages in uh, biographies that describe her almost being in love with the way it looked, the way it glowed in her workshop, that she would go visit it at night to see it glowing. She carried radium in, in a pocket with her and that there was a real love affair with, with the element, with the sense of discovery, but also with the sense of purposefulness that it took, it took an enormous amount of effort, not only imaginative and intellectual effort, but just the physical labor of rendering the radium was enormous. And humans really love purpose. Humans really love work. Um, it, is, it is one of the things that help us feel alive. And that sense of purposeful work was a really important part of what the radium girls were doing. They wanted to be able to work. And this was work that they were, it was thought that they were um, uniquely suited to do because the fine brushwork that they were being asked to do, uh, painting the watch faces with the radium laced paint was uh, detailed and delicate and of course, it was it was thought that that was a uniquely feminine project. But moreover, they could work; they could make more uh, doing this kind of work than they could anywhere else. And and this area of Illinois, uh, I don't think, was very rich with work opportunities for young women at the time. So it made a huge difference to their lives and the lives of their families as well. One of the things that really struck me and surprised me in only the best of ways is how you also respond to a number of movies that take into account the story of Curie. How did those arrive in your exploration of this topic? Completely by accident. I had no idea that these movies even existed, and I was gobsmacked by the by the the Hollywood lightness of them that that we could render such a that someone could render such a powerful story um, with such breeziness and the disconnect that it took to accept it as as a as a film as a lighthearted afternoon romp was staggering. And I became fascinated with, again, that disconnect between 
radium as being such a positive force and as mercilessly and aggressively lethal seemed to resonate against this idea of it being such a serious topic and fodder for a movie it was just a, a strange thing to to try to wonder about. I don't think that I made much sense of it. I just wanted to render those complicated ideas on the page somehow. One of the moves that you made that surprised me the most, but turned out to be what I thought was maybe one of the most effective moves that I've seen in a chapbook in a while, and was that the second poem in the book is a deeply personal poem. Before we, you've really gotten into the documentary poems, before you've really explored the life of Marie Curie and explored these movies, we've seen a real tragedy. But then the rest of the book treats the, the personal narrative with a very light touch. And I was really amazed by that. Can you talk a little bit about some of the thinking that went into the structuring of the book? As I was writing the last few poems of this of this book, my father was dying of Parkinsonisms, complications from a Parkinson-like illness. And he was a scientist, a chemical engineer, and he loved his work. It gave him purpose and joy. He was fascinated and he was curious and he was not afraid to ask beginners questions about the world and about everything. And so this, this was something I grew to admire about my father as I got older. It was perhaps something not, that I did not fully appreciate when I was younger. Um, so the, the idea of work and purpose and investigation and science all dovetailed for me in this in this personal narrative. And I was at the time writing many, many poems about my father. And these radium poems kept intersecting with that narrative. And in fact, for a while, these radium poems were, were part of that manuscript that investigated my father as a scientist. But they they didn't fit there. I kept pulling them out and I kept pulling them out. They seemed to speak with that narrative, but they also competed. And I didn't, it seemed like my investigation of radium was there when I put them together with all those poems about my father, that they were there as a way of investigating my own personal story and I wasn't doing them justice. I needed to separate those two. But Paradise was the one poem that stayed there, at least a, about the narrative about my father. And uh, it's, it really seemed to speak to those radium poems in a more personal way than, than the others did. And so I wanted to keep one, one of those there. It really gives us a sense of the stakes for you as a writer immediately and the fact that you trust that that poem will propel us through the manuscript which it does is just wonderful thank you laura this is the first book from your brand new press next page 
Tell us about Next Page Press and how you came about putting together the new publishing uh, venture and the kinds of things you're looking to publish. Great. Thank you. Um, Next Page Press was born with the idea of featuring writers looking for a home for second and third books. I found that this seems to be just a gap in um, opportunity for writers. There's a lot of first book contests, but beyond that, for the second and third book, I wanted to create a community and a home for authors there. The kind of work that I'm looking for, you've read Anne's chat book, that's the kind of work I'm looking for. Tight, image-driven, language that uses a lot of precision, the kind of work that brings new meaning and understanding to the way that we live. Laura, what's next on the horizon for Next Page? We have our first full-length collection coming out in March of 22. It is by Alexandra Vandekamp, a book called Ricochet Script. And beyond that, I intend to keep publishing chapbooks and full-length books, probably a mix of the two uh, hereafter. At the moment, just opening up to where these manuscripts will be coming from reaching out to people whose work I admire and love. And I'm not in a rush. I expect this press to have some longevity, uh, really taking the long view on that. So I think that's where we are. And I wonder if before we close out this episode, you would read something from Glow. I will read Soap, the final poem in the collection. Soap. Either no one's done their homework where someone's sense of irony runs deep. This bar of soap stamped radium stops me in my tracks. In its defense, this museum gift shop has a whole basket of soaps emblazoned with the names, numbers, and symbols of all the elements. I wave off the urge to set out the soaps on the tile floor in a periodic table, focusing instead I'm picking all the radiums out of the basket, each one with a yellow sticker enthusing glows in the dark, though these soaps charge up with sunlight or with lamplight. They radiate what they collect. They don't emit. But here in the Museum of Science and Industry, this soap is exactly where science and industry intersect where Marie Curie's radium painstakingly distilled from tons of soot-black uranium ore in the courtyard outside the shed she and Pierre had been granted as a shabby workspace, meets the radium-laced paint that rows and rows and rows of women brushed onto watch faces so the numbers would glow, the radium slowly poisoning their bones while factory scientists safeguarded themselves behind protective shields. Here is science and industry, and a generous measure of vanity and foolishness once the radium craze took hold a hundred years ago, when elixirs and creams and tonics infused with radium promised youth, vitality, brilliance, and shine. 
In the end, I buy a single bar. It's hypoallergenic and is not tested on animals. It is handcrafted in the USA. Here it sits under my desk lamp, charging. It chants to me, ra, ra, ra. Still, after all this time, promising absolution. Wonderful. As we close out our time together, and how can folks find you online? People can find me at annhudson.net. They can also find uh, my book at the Next Page Press website. And Laura, tell us a little bit about how to find Next Page Press. The website is at nextpage-press.com. We also have a Facebook page, and we are on Instagram and Twitter as well. And we'd be remiss if we didn't say, go find Laura's poems as well, because though you're hearing from her today as a publisher, she is a hell of a poet. Big thanks to both our guests today. Listeners, if you like the podcast, why not go ahead and click subscribe, or better yet, tell a friend. We're on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and all other pod places. Every review matters, so get on Apple, click five stars, say a few nice words. We will love you until the end of time, or roughly 1,600 years, which is the half-life of radium. (laughs) (laughs) You can find out what we're up to by following us on Twitter and Instagram at Bull City Press, or visit the Bull City Press website at bullcitypress.com. You can find me on Twitter. I'm at DC Noah. And I'm at Ross White. You can also email us at chapbook at bullcitypress.com. Thanks everyone for listening. We'll see you next time. 